Thank you very much for that powerful music and those words. We need to abide in Christ and Him dwelling in us. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne at this moment. We thank you for the Sabbath and we thank you for your word. You have never left us alone in these last days and you keep on giving us encouragement. And Lord, as we open your word, we pray that your holy presence will be among us so that we learn, retain, and apply this knowledge in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The message for this morning is titled, Packing Orders. Each time God's church is faced with a crisis, or each time God's church transitions, into another period of time, God gives orders. And if you look into the Bible, and if you go back to the times of Noah, when God saw that the wickedness of the sons and daughters of men he had gone up to the fullness of his wrath or the cup of his wrath, he told Noah that go and prepare an ark, and he gave him specific instructions and also in the times of the children of Israel, when they were coming out of the land of Egypt, God gave them specific instructions. God brought the plagues that plagued the nation of Egypt, but to his people, he told them exactly what they needed to do and what they were supposed to do. And also in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah, God gave to Lot the instructions that night when the people of Sodom came wanting to take the angels and wanting to abuse them, Lot was given specific instructions of going out of Sodom and going to a different place where God was going to shelter him. So God still does the same thing to his church in these last days. Praise the Lord that God has never left us alone. And praise the Lord, the book of Amos tells us in Amos chapter 5, Verse 7, it says, Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. So God wants us to know what exactly to do in the last times, in the last days, or in this time that we live in. When I think of these last days and the things that God has given us, I think of the verse that is in First Chronicles. Let us turn our Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. The book of First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. It says here, the Bible says, I'm reading, reading from the King James Bible. It says, And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. So we are being introduced to a group of people who was such a small group of people in the nation of Israel. These were the sons of Issachar. There are two things that drew my attention to this small group. They had an understanding of what? Of the times. Not only that, they had an understanding of what Israel ought to Ought to do. So in our understanding of Bible prophecy, in our understanding of what God wants us to do, we are not supposed just to live by interpreting the prophecies and we do nothing. We should combine both 
of these things to know the times and to know exactly what Israel ought to do. So the pen of inspiration in the book, Last Day Events, page 95, paragraph 2 and paragraph 3 and paragraph 4, the servant of God says, Out of the cities is my message at this time. Be assured that the call is for all people to locate miles away from the, the large cities. One look at San Francisco as it is today would speak to your intelligent minds, showing you the necessity of getting out of the cities. Of course, she was writing late 1800s and early 1900s. Looking at San Francisco at that time, she was convinced that the cities are going down and the people of God should come out. If she was living in this day and age, she would proclaim with a loud voice that like never before, you people should see what is happening. She goes on to say uh, in paragraph three, the Lord calls for his people to locate away from the cities for in such an hour as ye think not, fire and brimstone will be rained from heaven upon these cities proportionate to their sins will be their visitation. When one city is destroyed, let not our people regard this matter as a light affair and think that they may in favorable opportunity, of, if favorable opportunity offers, build themselves homes in that same destroyed city. She concludes by saying, let all who would understand these, the meaning of these things read the 11th chapter of Revelation and Read every verse and learn the things that are yet to take place in the cities. Read also the scenes portrayed in the 18th chapter of the same book. So we're just going to follow the counsel that was given to us by pen of inspiration. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Revelation, but to be specific in the 11th chapter, why, do we, why are we going to spend our time in the 11th chapter? Because the prophet of God said these things that happened in the 11th chapter of Revelation, they are going to be repeated. So before we get into the book of Revelation, let us go to the book of Isaiah chapter 28, verse 10. The, the servant of God says here, for precept must be upon precept, precept must be upon precept, line upon line, and line upon line, here a little and there a little. So the book of Revelation is signified in symbols because the language that he is given in the book of Revelation was meant by God to preserve his truth over the, the, the period of time the church was going to be in, in different phases. So if you go to Revelation chapter 1, you see that God is giving his message about his son Jesus to Jesus, and Jesus gives it to the angel and the angel signifies, which means to put it into symbols. And the angel gives that signified message to John, the prophet of God. And John, the prophet of God, gives it to, his, to the church of the living God. So having said that, having this background, let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 11. Hope we'll be able to finish. But if we don't finish to the portion of this chapter that I want us to study this morning... We should be like the Bereans who went after Paul had spoken. They went and they studied if what Paul was saying was according to the scriptures. So I give you a challenge. Whatever we don't finish, let's go and study it again. So Revelation chapter 11 verse 1 says here, 
and there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So the students of Bible prophecy or the students of the Bible, those who study the Bible know that when a chapter stands, uh, starts by the word and, and therefore means that there is something that has been said before which it is in continuation of. So in context, we should be able to find what happened in Revelation chapter 10 that the prophet of God, he starts this next chapter with end. For those who have been studying prophecy, you know that Revelation chapter 10 talks about the great disappointment, how it shows the angel, the same angel. By the way, the angel that is being referred to in chapter 10 and in chapter 11 is Jesus himself. It's not the cherubims or the seraphims or the angels as we know. Why do we say it's Jesus? 10 verse 1, it says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was, was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as the pillars of fire. If you know the book of Revelation, you know that this same description is the one that he gives in chapter 1 describing Jesus. And in the same chapter, we find confirmation that is talking about Jesus in verse 3. It says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. So the same angel is saying, My witnesses. We're going to talk about witnesses later, but who, which angel have we been shown in the Bible to have witnesses? It is only Jesus Christ who has witnesses. We're going to unpack the witnesses later on. So the angel who is talking here is Jesus. And John was shown, he, was, he had his foot on the other side of the, of the waters and the other on the, on the land. And he had a small book which represented the small portion of the book of Daniel which had the 2,300 days which was sealed. This book was sealed. And Daniel was told, and John was told to go and take that book and eat it. And what happened when John ate the book? It was sweet in the mouth and it was bitter in the, in the belly. I'm reminded of the time that I went to El Salvador last year. I can imagine John feeling the pain and going down. When I went to El Salvador last year, I enjoyed it so much, I ate everything that I had never ate before. I drank the coconut water, I ate pupusas, I ate different, all kinds of things because I was so excited. But lo and behold, one week after when I came back, I had a bug in my stomach. I was, it was hard to stand, it was hard to sit, it was hard to lie down. I was there prostrated on my bed and pain was just, was just in, my, in my tummy. I can imagine John feeling the same thing. Of course, it is in symbols right there. And he hears this message, Revelation chapter 10, verse 11. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues. So the, the, the bitterness that was in the belly, it pointed to the great disappointment. How can you say to someone who is in pain, prophesy again? And verse 1 in the chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Arise. 
So it took faith for the Advent people. It took faith for our pioneers to get up, to remember that the same Jesus who said to the, to the leper, you are cleansed. The same Jesus who said to the paralytic, get up, rise up. The same Jesus who said to the man at Bethesda, rise, your faith has made you whole. The same Jesus who'd give the church of God power to proclaim the message of God around the world again. So this is the context that we get into chapter 11. So Jesus is moving from the holy place going to the most holy place. So now the servant of God is told, take what? Take the reed, which was like unto a, like unto a rod. Cook tells us the word reed that is translated, the word that is translated reed is kana, which in Greek means the canon, or where we find the word canon, which is the scripture. So he's told, he's directed to the scriptures, so that those who are going to move with Jesus from the holy place to the most holy place are going to be grounded in the word of God. But at the same time, to be more specific, this is referring to the laws and to the commandments of God. So the principles of studying the Bible, if you want to understand a verse, you go to the chapter, the immediate context of the chapter. If you still have something that you want to understand, you zoom out a little bit more. You, talk, you, you look at the chapters that surround it, and you zoom more to the books that are in the Bible, and praise God, he allowed us to zoom out more and understand it from the spirit of prophecy. So what is this read? We go to the same chapter, 11, verse 19. The servant of God was shown, and the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and a great hell. We have no time to unpack this whole verse. But you can see that in context, John is shown the ark of the testament of God. What was in the ark? The law, the Ten Commandments of God. So he's saying, for all those who were in the ministry of the holy place, who are moving into the most holy place, measure them by the, by the law of God. To the law and to the testimony, if they don't speak according to this word, it is because there is no, there is no light in them. So the book of Revelation is full of sanctuary language. So just a recap, I'm speaking to the choir. We're in an Adventist community, right? The sanctuary had compartments. In the outer court, there was the altar of burnt sacrifice, and there was also the lava basin. And when you get into the tabernacle, by the way, the sanctuary was from the east to the west. It moved from the east to the west. And the Psalms, the Psalms say, or David says, thy way, is, thy way is in the sanctuary, who is such a great God as our God. So now he was told, to measure the temple, which is the tabernacle, which is the heavenly sanctuary. Because when we are studying the Bible, we talk about literal, local, and worldwide spiritual, which means whatever happened to the temple that was on this planet, the miniature of that which was in heaven should be on a spiritual level to, the God, to God's people and the spiritual Israel. So he's told to measure the altar. It's told to measure the temple and the altar. Which altar is being talked about? How many altars were in the, on the sanctuary? There were two. 
The first one was the altar of burnt sacrifice. And the second one was the altar of burnt incense. So which one is he talking about? Same principle that we apply in the Bible, in how to study the Bible. We zoom out a little bit more, and we go to verse 2. He was told, but the court which is without the temple, live out. So it's not talking about the altar of burnt sacrifice. It's talking about the altar of incense. So what happened to the priests at the day of atonement by which we understand the investigative judgment started? The priest would go in the tabernacle. He had the blood in, in, in whatever container the blood was. Maybe it was, it, it was a vessel or something. And he moved from the holy place to the most holy place to minister on the day of atonement. But before he would pass the veil, there was the altar of burnt incense which was there. He would take the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and he would take the coals out of the, horn, out of the altar and put them in a censer and he would put also the incense which meant that the ministration of the altar of incense would go in the most holy place. What does this ministry represent? We go to Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 and verse 10. It talks about the cry of justice. Don't confuse it or don't make it a distortion of the state of the dead. It says here, they cried and they said, Lord, how long shall you avenge those who persecuted us? And where, where were the voices coming from? They were coming from underneath the altar. So the altar represents here the prayers of the saints. So this ministry of prayer will go also into the most holy place. So those who are going to call upon the name of the Lord are going to be measured by his commandments. Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, he said, in Jesus in the book of Matthew, he said, if you come and sacrifice and you see that you have something against your neighbor. Leave your sacrifice and go and make things right with your neighbor. Why did he say that? Because the summation of the law, the Decalogue, uh, the first four commandments, there is a relationship between us and God. And the second half, the second six, the, the, the next part, which is the six commandments, it is a relationship between men and men. So if you come to the altar or if you pray to the Lord and you have not made things right with your friends, with someone who stepped on your foot and they never said, sorry, then you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. The pen of inspiration tells us here that the grand, the grand judgment is taking place and has been going on for some time now the Lord says, measure the temple. She quotes the same verse, measure the temple and the worshipers thereof. Remember, when you are walking in the streets about your business, God is measuring you. When you are at attending your household duties, when you engage in conversation, God is measuring you. When you are doing your work, remember, there is one that is watching the spirit in which we are doing it. Not everyone who said to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Ecclesiastes, the last chapter, the last verses, he said God is going to bring into judgment whether what we did, whether it was good, whether it was bad. Why? We can do good things for the wrong motives. God is going to bring it into judgment. Verse 2. 
It says here, but the court that is without, measure not. Do not measure the court that is without. Why? When you're studying the Bible, you should ask yourself questions when you see something unusual. Why wasn't he supposed to measure the court that, is, that was without? He says the court belongs to the, to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Those questions, we should be able to find them in this chapter and in the Bible. If you see the clue that we're given here at the last, the last lines of the verse, it says these, they are going to tread the holy city of God. They will tread it for how long? 42 months. So we go into Bible prophecy, and we know from the book of Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6, I have given you a day for a, for a year. So if we unpack these 42 months, we come out with the same time that is spoken of in verse 4, which is 1,260 days and years. So the days, they are years in Bible prophecy. So we go into history, and we try and find where does this start and where does this end. The clue that we're given in Revelation chapter 13 is the end of these days, which is the deadly wound that comes upon the, second, the, the first beast that is in the book of Revelation chapter 13. His deadly wound that he was given was given in the year 70, 1798 when Bethiai went and took Pope the ca captive and the civil power from the Roman Catholic system was taken. And now, backing 1,260 years, coming back, we get to 538, but someone can say, no, 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 pastor, that's not, that's not good. Yes, I agree with you. This is the point where many Bible scholars from out there have been, have been challenging Adventists to say, you just found a date and you backed back. So the reason why is because we have been approaching 538 on a more military basis to say this was the time the Ostrogoths had, the, had their war with Rome. But at the same time, the prophecies, the book of uh, the great controversy tells us to look at it in a more political and a more legal way. What does she say? In the sixth century, in the book Great Controversy, page 54, she says, in the sixth century, the papacy had become firmly established. Its seat of power was fixed in the imperial city, the, and the bishop of Rome was declared to be the head over the entire church. Paganism had given place to the papacy. The dragon had given to the beast his power and his seat and great authority. Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. So the pen of inspiration agrees with, the, with this interpretation that in this in this period in time, 538, this is when the dragon gave power to the beast. So why is it significant? Now we know where the 1260 starts and where the 1260 ends. Now, this same period is going to point us to who the Gentiles which are being referred to in this passage are, which is the system, the PayPal system, the Catholic system. Don't get me wrong, I have a lot of friends who live true to the, to, to the truth they know of who are still in this system. That's why she said, go and study Revelation chapter 18, which says, come out of ye my, my people. 
So now we know that the Gentiles that are being talked in this, uh, that are being mentioned in this verse is the papal system that reigned during these days or during these years. What are they going to do? And I will give power unto my witnesses, and they shall prophesy the same period of time, a thousand and two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. So the beast of Revelation chapter 13 verse 2, it gives power and its seat and its authority to the, the beast. The, the dragon gives the beast the power. But at the same time, hallelujah to God, he doesn't leave his church without support. At the same time, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, God says, I will give power to my witnesses. What are these witnesses? What are these witnesses? My two witnesses. If you go to the book of John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, you believe, you read the, the prophets, you read the scriptures. They are they who, which testify of who? Of me. So the two witnesses that are being told to John here are the Old and the New Testament. The Old and the New Testament, which is the Word of God. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, And this gospel shall be preached to the whole world for a witness, and then the end shall come. So just, just, just confirming that the two witnesses are the word of God. So what is this power being referred to? What is this power that God gave to his witnesses? Yes, I can hear the answer, the Holy Spirit. But how do we prove it? The principles of studying the word of God, we go to the Bible and the Bible is it's an own interpreter. We go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the verse that we see the word power and the word witness used in the same verse by Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. So before the church of God in all ages, before the church of God confronted a major battle or a major crisis, God gave it power. So why is it significant to us? Before we enter into the time of trouble, it's going to be the little time of trouble, and it's going to be the Jacob's time of trouble. Before we get into that time, God is promising that he will give his witnesses power. Of course, this was referring to the time that was during this time. And what is going to happen to the witnesses? The end of this verse, verse 3, it says they were clothed in sackcloth. What does sackcloth mean? The first occurrence of sackcloth in the Bible is in the story of Jacob. When Jacob was told that, that his son Joseph was devoured by the beast of the field, he rent his clothes and he wore sackcloth. Meaning that sackcloth is a symbol of pain and suffering and agony and mourning. And still on that, 
Sackcloth also in Revelation chapter 6, we are told that the sun was covered in darkness as the sackcloth. It also means the obscuration of light or hiding it. Bunch 119 tells us that the emblem of distress and mourning, Revelation chapter 6 verse 12, and he also tells us that during the 1260 years of papal supremacy, the church, which should have been the light of the world, was compelled to flee into the wilderness and hide in the caves among the mountains. Also, during this period, the scriptures were proscribed and a cloud of pagan superstitions spread over the church like a cloth of sackcloth, like a cloak of sackcloth obscuring its light. So what happened during the Dark Ages? The reason why they are called the Dark Ages is because the truth of God was hidden. The truth of God was covered into pagan superstitions. But the witnesses, get this point right, the witnesses still witnessed, but in obscuration. This is very important because we're going to look at another power and another beast that totally, completely wiped out the witnesses of God, clothed in sackcloth. The pen of inspiration, Great Controversy 564, it tells us that the, pap the papal church will never relinquish her claim to infallibility. All that she had done in her persecution of those who reject the, her dogmas, she holds to be right. And would she not repeat the same acts should the opportunity be presented? Let the restraints now imposed by secular governments be removed and Rome be reinstated in her former power and there would speedily be a revival of her tyranny and persecution. Remember the quotation that we read at the beginning. These things that happened during these times, they're going to be repeated. She says the governments are the ones that are restricting the, the power that she ha used to have, which is the civil power. But if you are a student of prophecy and if you have been observing what is happening right now, you see that this power is slowly coming and this wound is slowly being healed. And Jesus and God says in the book of Ezekiel chapter 33, I have made you a watchman upon the walls of Zion so that when you see the sword coming from afar, you warn my people so that they observe my packing orders and they get ready. But if you see what's coming and you keep silent, uh, the people are going to perish by the sword and God is going to require their blood upon thine hands. My friends, my dear brothers and sisters, the world is not going to be the same again. But praise God, the signs and wonders that we are given in the Bible are for us to rejoice because we are closer to home, amen? Home at last, home at last. Who among you, when you are using GPS, when you have driven like a thousand miles, and you hear when you, when you turn into your street, when you hear the GPS say, in, in half a mile, your destination is on the right, and you start crying, I want to go back and travel again. No, the signs, the signs and the wonders are for us to rejoice. Because our home is getting closer. But we are supposed to do as, uh, we are supposed to be like the sons of Issachar. When they see the signs, they knew what Israel ought to, what Israel ought to do. So what is Israel supposed to be doing? Let's go to the next verse. 
It says here, verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. These are the two olive trees standing before the God of the earth. So when you hear the, the symbols and the language of Bible prophecy, you should be able to try and find what does this mean. This same language was used in the book of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 7. We're not going to have time to read it. Write it down as your reference and be like the Bereans. Zechariah is given a vision, and he sees the same vision that is given here of the two olive trees. And the two olive trees, they had also a candle stand. And if you keep on reading that same chapter, Zechariah says, I don't understand, what does this mean? And the angel said, really, don't you understand? He said, no, I don't understand. And the angel said, this is the word of the Lord. And he goes on to say, not by power or by might, but by the, by the Spirit. So God was reminding the church of the dark ages that the only way that you're going to survive these times, the only way that you're going to stand for me, the only way that you're going to have boldness is because my spirit will be working in you. You remember Paul saying to the church, please, please, please pray for me so that I can have boldness to present the word of God with power. You remember when Jesus was about to be crucified, what happened to the disciples? They ran away. What happened to Peter? He, he denied Jesus three times. But the same Peter is the, one, is the one who was crucified upside down for Jesus. The same disciples who ran when Jesus was being crucified, showing you that without power of the Holy Spirit, they couldn't stand. But when the outpouring of the early rain was upon them, they went from nation to nation, from town to town, from city to city, persecuted, persecuted, and they stood for the word of the Lord. So now you might think, I don't have a PhD in theology. I don't have all the knowledge that I think I should. God, the, minister, the book Minister of Healing tells us that God is looking for men whom he will use and who have an open heart to be used by his spirit. So what is the church of God supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be looking up to heaven for the olive trees who are going to produce olive oil, which is a symbol of God's spirit, which is going to go into the lambs so that they will burn. Let the lower lights be burning so that the word of God will be like what the psalmist say. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my, unto my path. The book of Isaiah, chapter 6, chapter 60 tells us that darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness shall cover the people. But what does it say? It says, arise and shine for thy glory has, has come. The light of the world is in the word of God. It is quickened by his spirit and those whom in their hearts are open to the word of God and to his spirit, they are going to be lights that are going to shine even in the times of darkness. He goes on to say here, 
And if any man will hurt them, this is verse 5 and verse 6, and if fire will proceed out of their mouth and devour their enemies, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Verse 7, these have power to shut heavens and it... Uh, and that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So if you see this language and you go into history during the 1260 years, you'll find that they, all these things didn't happen during that time. So what is, what is God telling us? What is God telling us during this time? The pen of inspiration tells us that this time is referring to Gen Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. Great controversy, 1888, page 268, paragraph 1. It says, if any man, quoting Revelation chapter, five, Revelation chapter 11, verse 5, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth, men cannot with impunity tremble upon the word of God, the meaning of this fearful denunciation is set forth in the in the closing chapter of the in the closing chapter of Revelation, and then she quotes the whole the whole chapter, and then she goes on to say, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written therein. So she points us into this into this passage which is in Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, which refers to the last plagues. So these things are going to happen upon the cities. But there's something sad happened right after that. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, the servant of God goes on to say, and when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Oh, my. It looks like a sad story, right? Like the witnesses, if you're watching something that is action, you see something that is winning and something that is winning, and you're told at the end, like, finally lost. You're like, oh, no. But praise be to God, we're going to study more and see what this imagery means and shall defeat them and shall kill them. What is this beast that comes after the, seven, after the 1260 days had ended. It is a nation of France. Why do we say the nation of France? Because we hear that the two witnesses were killed during the time of this beast. What are the two witnesses? It's a war against the Bible. What happened during the French Revolution? They took the Bibles and they burned them in the streets of France. The Bible says here, that the beast ascends out of the bottomless, bottomless pit. What does it mean to say the beast ascended out of the bottomless pit? You see, the Roman rule during the 1260 years, the reason why they obscured the truth is because they pretended as if their basis or their foundation was founded upon the rock, which is the Bible and which is Jesus. But now this power that is coming out, with the, which we know that this is France, according to history, that came right after the 1260 years, it is the power that was rooted in atheism. How do we know that? 
that this power was rooted in atheism. Verse 8 tells us that, and their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which is spiritual, is called Sodom and Egypt. So what do we know about Sodom? What do we know about Egypt? Sodom was well known of sin and licentiousness. And Sodom was well known for the luxuries they had, the fullness of bread. And what was well known, Egypt well known for? It was well known for atheism. Why? When Moses and Aaron went in front of Pharaoh, what did Pharaoh say? Who is God? Who is Jehovah? I don't know him. So these two things, or these components of this nation, we are told clearly that these were going to be present in the beast that rises out of the, out of the bottomless pit. So they didn't have the foundation of the scriptures. They didn't even pretend as if they're using the scriptures. They killed the witnesses in the streets. So why do we say the witnesses were killed in the streets? SDA Bible Commentary tells us on page 803, it says, the period may be reckoned from November 26, 1793, when a decree issued in France abolished religion to June 17, 1797, when it is held, the French government removed restrictions against the practice of religion. The reign of terror was the bloodiest battle that the Christian church has ever seen. And the Bible here goes on to say, and they of the people and the kindreds and tongues, in verse 9, and of nations shall see their dead bodies three, three days and a half. Going back to the Bible prophecy, a day representing a year, we see that this is the, the three and a half years that we have just referred to, which is from November 26, 1793 to June 17, 1797. And it goes on to say here, and shall not suffer their, their dead bodies to be put to death. We know for sure that their dead bodies was not put to death. This is imagery and symbolic language. But we know if we go back to history, the nations that surrounded France or the nations of the world didn't, didn't adopt France's policy of persecuting and killing the Bible and extinguishing everything. They didn't take it. So they saw it happening in France, but they did not take it. So they didn't suffer their dead bodies to be, to be buried. God, when something happens, he allows it for a reason and for a purpose. But he doesn't allow his truth to be extinguished. Amen. He allows trials and tribulations so that he can purify his church. You remember the early church? There were signs and wonders that followed them. But you know, it's easy for people to want to be attached with something that is great and successful. Miracles were happening. They were breaking bread they were giving their property and they were taking care of each other. And so many things were happening. So people joined the church. But the persecution of Acts chapter 8 purified the church. And those who were true and honest and those who were grounded in the truth remained in the church. This is the reason why God allowed the persecution of the dark ages and God allowed the persecution that happens to the church. You might think that God is a cruel God. Why does he allow all these things to happen to his church? Why does he allow it? The book of James tells us in the, first, in the first chapter, my dear brethren, count it all what? Joy. When you fall into diverse temptations because the trying of your faith worketh what? Worketh patience. 
And John says, here is the what? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the, the commandments of God. And Job says, after he hath tried me, I shall come out as gold. So God allowed his church to go through a difficult time so that they will come out on the other side as gold. So we have a time that we are about to face, which is time of trouble and the time of Jacob's trouble, but God will allow it to purify the church. So what do we need? His power and his strength to be, over, to be able to overcome. Be rooted in the witnesses. Be like the witnesses because the Bible in itself can not only be the witness without people who are witnesses taking the witness to the whole world. Because in the same chapter that we read, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, and you shall be my witnesses to the whole world starting in Jerusalem, starting in Judea and to the, to the Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. So be a witness of God. Be rooted in his witnesses. Study the word of God. God has given you blessings of phones and gadgets and all these things, but they're now taking the place of God and you're not preparing. I was told a story when I was little, when I was in kindergarten, of birds. We know that birds don't talk, right? But this is just a parable. So these are migratory birds that were about to migrate from Africa to another part of the world. And this couple... The birds, they had their young ones. And they, the, the, the mother bird, or the parents of the birds, they knew that a time is coming because they observed the weather that we should be able to migrate from this place to another place. They told their kids, their young little birds, that you should practice flying, going round about this tree every single morning so many times. But there was one of the birds that didn't want to do the same thing. The parents would come with the food in the evening and they would feed. And this one little bird became fat and fat and fat and fat. And these ones that were practicing, they mastered the art of flying and they were able to fly for a long time. The day came when they were supposed to fly and migrate from another place. And this fat little one tried to fly but could not go any further. And it dropped down and became food for the scavengers. So God is giving us instructions of packing. God is giving us instructions of preparing. God is giving us the tools on, of what to do and what to use in these times that we live in. But if you don't take advantage of the word, of, sure word of prophecy, which God says he will do nothing without telling his servants the prophets, then you become like this fat little bird that will not be able to stand when the time comes. The prophet of God goes on to say here, Verse 10, and they that dwelt upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two, these two prophets tormented them, they, they tormented them that dwell on the earth. Of course, if you, talk, you take this literally, you just think that the earth is referring to the planet earth. That's fine. That's okay. But prophecy is more specific. He's saying them that dwell upon the earth will rejoice. Now in context of this same chapter, we've been talking about a different power before. Those that dwell upon the earth, if you go to Revelation chapter 6, that cry of justice when it ends from the voices that were coming under, from underneath the altar of incense, it says those that persecuted them, they persecuted them, those are the ones that dwell upon the earth. And the power that persecuted, we know that this is the Roman system. So what happened? So what happened? 
What happened during this time of the French Revolution? We are told by Henry White in his book, The Massacre of St. Bartholomew. By the way, we don't have time to go to, to, to this massacre, but we just want to hear what happened. When the news of the massacre reached Rome, listen very carefully, the exaltation among the clergy knew no bounds. The cardinal of Lorraine rewarded the messenger with a thousand crowns. This is the person that brought the news that the massacre at St. Bartholomew, what had happened, they gave, them, they gave this person crowns. They rejoiced. The, the canon of St. Angelo thundered forth a joyous salute, and bells rang out of every steeple. Bonfires burned night into day, and Gregory the 13th attended by the cardinals and other ecclesiastical dignitaries went in long procession to the church of St. Louis where the cardinal of Lorraine chanted T. Delm. A medal was struck and a medal was prepared for this period of time. So we see that the prophecy is saying those that dwell upon the earth, they rejoiced because the witnesses were killed. Because they tormented them all this time, the Bible tormented the Roman, the, the, the papal Rome during the 1260 years because it was still witnessing in obscurity. But now when they heard that what had happened in France, they rejoiced, they exchanged gifts and they took a crown and they gave to the messenger. What a sad story. So Revelation chapter 11 verse 10, it points to Rome rejoicing upon the death of the witnesses. And verse 11, it says, after three days and, and a half, the spirit of life, praise the Lord. If, the, if this story had ended in chapter 10, in verse 10 and in verse 9, it was going to be a sad story. Praise the Lord for verse 11 because it says, and after three days, which we have talked about, which is three and a half years, and after, after three and a half years, what happened? The Bible says the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear upon fell upon them which saw them. Praise the Lord. He says in the Bible, his word will never be extinguished. The word of the Lord will live forever. The word of the Lord will never, ever be extinguished. In the book, Great Controversy 287, we hear that it was in, in 1790. Three, that the decrees which abolished the Christian religion and set aside the Bible passed the French assembly. Three years and a half later, a resolution resigning res res these decrees, thus granting toleration of the scriptures, was adopted by the same body. The world stood aghast at the enormity of guilt which had resulted from the rejection of the, of the sacred oracles, and men recognized the necessity of faith in God and his word as the foundation of virtue and morality. You cannot do anything without the word of God. A warning to the world, we see that atheism is gaining power. Of course, this prophecy was directed and was directed to the 1260 years, but all these things, Paul says, were written for our ensemples, which means for our example. All these things that happened, the pendulum swing, which happened from the 
the deception that was in the papacy and which went right across to the other side of extreme atheism by France. We are seeing it in our society today. People are starting to think that we don't need the Bible. Unfortunately, in the church, we're used to be called, our pioneers used to be called the people of the book. But now we are being called the people of their own intellect and capabilities. We know what to say from our own minds, but not the scripture interpreting its, its own self. So these witnesses were seen. Life was given from the Lord. And what happened in verse 12? And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the book, Great Controversy, page 287, the pen of inspiration tells us that since France made war upon God's two witnesses, they have been honored as never before. In 1808, the British and Foreign Bible Society was organized just right after this time. This was followed by similar organizations with numerous branches upon the continent of Europe. In 1816, the American Bible Society was founded. When the British Society was formed, the Bible had been printed and circulated in 50 languages. It has since been translated into many hundreds of languages and dialects. Praise be to God. So what does this mean? Because we're not going to have another, uh, a chance to go and live into the 1260. What does it mean to those who are living in the last days? No matter how evil may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The stone that was seen in Daniel 2, which came and destroyed the kingdoms of this world, Jesus Christ will triumph, and his holy city that was seen by John in Revelation chapter 21, it is the city that is going to stand forevermore. His word will not pass. Even though, my friends, you're going to go into the time of Jacob's trouble, even though you're going to go into the time of little trouble, God will never leave you alone. His word will endure forever. We're going to be singing here, but before we sing, it is an appeal that I want to share with you that let us follow Christ into the most holy place and live according to his principles. The song that we're going to sing in closing is one of my favorite songs. Onward, Christian soldiers. The hymn writer says, Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. The second verse goes on to say, like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, brothers and sisters, we are living or we are, trod, we are trading where the saints have trodden. What was the message that was given when the cry of justice came from the altar? It says, the Bible says, God gave them robes. And he said, just wait for your friends, for your fellow Believers to be persecuted the same way you were persecuted. So we are trading where the saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we, one in hope, one in charity, and one in doctrine.
We are not divided by women's ordination. We are more not divided by tax parity. We are not divided by coronavirus. We are not divided against mask or non-mask. One body we, one in hope that Jesus Christ is coming very soon, which is the hope of glory. One in charity, which is the love of our dear brother and sister that are sitting next to us, that are our neighbors in our community. And it goes on to say, the next verse, it says, Crowns and thrones have perished, kingdoms rise and wind, but the church of Jesus constant has remained throughout the dark ages, throughout the apostolic era, throughout all this period of time. The church of God constant has remained. But the church of Jesus constant has remained. We have Christ's own promise that can never fail. Last verse. I love this verse. Onward then ye people, join our happy throng. Blend with us your voices in the triumph song. Singing what? Glory, praise, and honor unto Christ our King. But I want to give you a challenge. How can they join us singing the song of glory, praise, and honor, yet the people of God are singing of key? So in order for them to follow us, like Paul who says, follow me as I follow Christ, the church of God should give the call to say, come and join us. We are singing a triumphant song. Let the word of God reign in your, heart, in your hearts. Let the spirit of God sanctify you. Let the hand of the Lord lead your lives so that you can sing on tune. It goes on to say, onward, Christian soldiers. Our war fair is not of blood and flesh. Our weapons are not carnal, but our weapons are spiritual weapons. So as we sing this song, I want to make an appeal to you. Those who are saying in their hearts, I would like to stand for the truth though the heavens fall. I would like to observe and follow God's packing orders as God says them. I would like to live according to his spirit. I would like to open my heart to the spirit of the Lord so that he will reign in my life. Stand with me as we sing this last song. Onward, Christian soldiers. <laughs>